So let's talk about uh, responding to God's call. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, and they're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 10. We are God's masterpiece. Look at your neighbor and say, you're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us a long time ago. You know, God already has things for you. He's already got it planned out for you. Good things for you to do. And it's already, it's already part of his plan. We just have to respond and say, you know what? I'll do it. When Jesus was in the garden in Matthew 26, he was in the garden and, and he knew what was coming. He was getting ready to, to die a brutal death. And he was very honest in his walk with the Lord, with his father. And he said this, he said, my soul is crushed with grief. In other words, he was suffering and he was hurting. And in all of that, he even asked the father, he said, if there's any other way, could this cup of suffering pass from me? But he didn't leave it there. So he was honest about what he was feeling. But then he made this statement. It's not my will, though, but it's yours. Ultimately, we all down deep, we want to feel, fulfill the will of God for our life. Would you agree with that? I'm, you'll be much better off if you agree with that, I should say. If you want to do God's will for your life, it, 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 you will live a fulfilled life. You will live a life full of being totally gratified and satisfied with what God does in you and through you. So let's look at Psalms 40, verse 8. This is what David says. He said, I take joy in doing your will, my God. I take joy. That doesn't mean it's always easy. But David says, I take joy. So here's what we're going to do. We are, we are going to, today, we're going to leave this place fully committed that if this is what God says for us to do, that we're going to receive it and we're going to walk it out. And there's going to be bumps along the way. And we're not going to hit it perfect. There's times still today that I, have, that I wrestle with embracing there's times where I still don't want to encourage someone, especially if, they've, if they're getting on my nerves or if, it doesn't, if they're not doing things I think they should do, but yet it's still the will of God, and I want to do what God wants me to do, and if Thrive is your church home, this is God's will for you. I know that sounds like, oh, who are you to tell me? I'm just telling you on behalf of the Lord. This, I didn't make this up. Three o'clock in the morning, the Lord spoke this to me. If you know me, I don't get anything at three o'clock in the morning. I'm not even conscious. If I'm awake, I'm still not awake. But this day, the Lord spoke to me clearly. This is what I've called the church to do. And that I'm preparing you for, this is what I want you to do. It's not an option. Yeah, I've told you before, there's been... Uh, people who aren't here anymore, but there was someone one time who said, I got a fifth E for you. I got a fifth one. And I'm like, you know what? We're not doing a fifth E. The Lord spoke for, and, and unless the Lord speaks the fifth one, because there's a lot of E's. Eat. Hallelujah. Let's add that one, right? Eat. That's a good one. Um, but we're doing what the Lord wants us to do. So here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to respond, and I, I can't force you to do it. This is my heart that we would respond today with yes to these four things. 
that we'd respond and say, God, you've called me to embrace people. You've called me to encourage people. You've called me to equip people. And you've called me to empower people. So today, I say, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Now, here's what we're going to, here's how, this was kind of the Lord was speaking to me this week. I want us to commit to this even if you feel unworthy. How many of you sometimes you just feel, and you don't have to raise your hand. Let me say it this way. A lot of us at times can feel unworthy to do what God's called us to do because of our past or because of we, just, we, just, we just feel like we're not good enough. And, and, and that's a lie. So here's what I'm going to tell you. See, I used to, I'll tell you one thing that's changed in me. I used to say, um, we gotta, you got to fight that. And you do have to fight feeling unworthy. But what I'm telling you is even if you feel unworthy, step out. Even if the unworthiness doesn't go away right away, commit even if you feel unworthy. In other words, as you continue on your journey with God, you'll, you'll see that in you, you're not. But in him, you are. And sometimes you take a step even if you feel unworthy. So if you're here today and you say, I just don't feel worthy to do it, I'm, I'm saying, listen, the Lord's going to help us, and we're going to go for it anyway. Doesn't that sound weird a little bit? But we're going to do it. Let's look at this scripture. Look at Exodus chapter 3. This is Moses and the Lord says, now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and you must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Listen, it's one thing to protest, but you're going to protest to God? The, the God that spoke the world into existence, the God that created you, and you think you're going to, like, protest? I, God, uh, I have a problem with that. So he protests. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? You see what he's saying? Who am I? Like, who am I to do that? I, that's not, I'm, not, I'm not worthy of that. And God answered and said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. So if you're looking at it alone and you feel unworthy because you just don't think you can, he says, I'll be with you. And this is a sign that I am the one who sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. Here he is again. All right, God, I still got a problem with this. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Then what do I tell them? In other words, he's saying, God, when they ask me your name, like, how do I know? They're, they're not even going to think I'm legit. I'm going to go there, and they're going to be like, okay, all right, if God did it, then who? What's his name? God who? And then he goes on to tell them. He said, listen, I am. That's his name, I am. And we could go a lot with that, but I'm telling you, God's name is I am. So he's saying to you, I am. I am all you need. I am your strength. I am your peace. I am your hope. I am, I am, I am, I am. But Moses at this moment was feeling very unworthy because he didn't recognize not only that God was with him, but really who he was. And we're going we're gonna to challenge that a little bit. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you feel unworthy, I want you to hear this scripture. If you belong to Christ, you're a new person. In other words, you can't look at yourself the way you used to. You have to begin to allow God to help you see yourself different. Because God loves you. 
and there's value on your life. You want to know how sometimes we, how we would say something is valuable? By what we pay for it. Right? You know, you can go, you can go to a, you can go to a store and buy a pair of jeans for 15 bucks. Or you can go to a store and buy a pair of jeans for 150 bucks. Which ones would you buy if you're going to go paint? Probably 15. Because 150 ones are more valuable because they cost more. Right? You follow me? You know how much it costs for you to have the relationship with God that you have? The life of the Son of God. I'm going to tell you, you have value. Because God looked at you and said, it's worth the cost of the life of my only son. That was the price tag on your life. For you to have life and be with Jesus forever. To spend eternity with God. And you are worth it. That the value of your life was worth Jesus laying down his. Tell him you're valuable. You're a new person. The way you used to be, that's not you anymore. That's not you. I'm not saying that you can't ever look back and say, man, what a testimony of God. But I'm telling you, you can't identify with that anymore. You just can't. That's the old. The old is gone. All things have become new. Let's go to the next verse. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh. How often? Each morning. Man, I just messed up. You know, I'm not worthy. I keep struggling. Well, guess what? Every morning, there's new mercy for you. Every morning. How many have made a commitment only to break it the next day? Just me, I guess. Okay, three of us. All right. Listen, January 2nd, how many of you are still on the January 1 plan? Right? That's it. I'm working out every day. I'm eating healthy. Ah, one donut ain't going to hurt. Then the next day, you're, you're done. See, I've, I've made decisions. God, oh, Lord, help me. I'm just going to be patient from now on. I've just made a decision. Patient from now on. I'm not going to let anything bother me anymore. And you know, you know when you say that, what's coming. Don't you? You know what's coming. Traffic. Something's not working at the register you're at. Sally in front of you has 200 coupons. Whatever it is, you're going to have that opportunity. And we don't, always, we don't always make it. But God's mercies are new every morning. When we fall, what does the Bible say about the righteous? When the righteous fall, what do they do? They get back up. Just like when you teach your kids to ride a bike or, or when they start walking. Listen, if you hold your kids' hands while they walk and you never let go, they'll never learn to walk. At some point, you got to let go and let them fall. I would suggest carpet, you know, something soft, but they have to learn. But when they fall, listen, don't just get them back up. You can do it. And when we, when we are living, going through life, and we struggle sometimes and we fall, guess what? God's right there and say, hey, come on. You got this. You got this. The righteous, they get up. So don't let the unworthiness, don't let it get you down. You're worthy. I'm telling you, 
If there's one time I can tell you right now, I'm speaking on behalf of the creator of this world. God is saying to you today, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worthy. Let's go to the next scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made what? Right with God through Christ. In other words, you being right with God is through Christ. It's not through your actions. Look at what the, how the, another translation says it. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says it this way. Everyone has sinned. We've talked about this a lot. All far short of God's glorious standards. Yet God freely and generously declares that we are what? Righteous. In other words, here's the time where we have to begin to process through who we used to be and who we are. Even that song, the first verse is who we used to be. Sinner, condemned, and unclean. Because of Jesus now, we stand before God righteous. I'm, I'm going to tell you as a believer, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus in you. That's why you should be able to come boldly to the throne of God, because he's not seeing you in all your mess. He's seeing Jesus in you. And, and one of the reasons and one of the things that will help us get out of our mess is when we begin to see ourselves how God does. So is it true that we sin? Yes. But I'm telling you, you are no longer a sinner. You are righteous. Righteous people fall, so that doesn't mean that we never mess up or sin, but they get back up. But your identity isn't in sin. Your identity is in the Savior who paid for your sin, who took your sin on the cross. So when you begin to see yourself as righteous, you're going to begin to see yourself in different ways, and you're going to do things different. Because if you're righteous, when you fall, you get back up. If you see yourself as righteous and you get nervous and you get afraid, it says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to him and they're safe. So if you see yourself righteous, you know I can run to the Lord. He's going to help me. He's going to help me. So again, we're talking about who we are. You are worthy because of Jesus. So we're going to fulfill this even if we feel unworthy because we know down deep we're not. We may not have that full revelation but we gotta, we got to understand what the word says. We're worthy because of Jesus. You with me? All right. Here's the second thing. Even when we feel unqualified. You know, I've heard people say, well, yeah, it's easy for you. You went to Bible college. Can I tell you in Bible college, my GPA was two point something. It was not good. I was not a model Bible college student. I was confined to my room for four days several times because that's how they punished you. I was threatened to be sent home. I was not the model student. I just, I had my own insecurities. I had my own stuff that I struggled with. And I just, I didn't just dig in and learn. I played basketball every night. I worked two jobs. I only studied at the last minute just to get by. That's how my college career started. And then it took a turn for the better with the help of some leadership, dean of students, president of the college. They helped me, and we got there. 
but I, I felt unqualified. Can I tell you something? You know, we, we made a decision here. We're going to be real, right? I still feel unqualified. I still feel unqualified to pastor this church. And the day I don't, I'm in trouble. Because it's actually knowing that I'm not qualified that helps me rely on the one who is. But none of us are qualified. Look at, look at Exodus 4. This is Moses again. Now he's still, he's still arguing with God. So, so, the Lord, so Moses pleads with the Lord, Lord, I'm not good with words. You want me to lead these people? I'm not good with words. I never have been. I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get all tongue-tied and my words get tangled up. Then the Lord asked Moses, who made your mouth? That's basically how he says it. I kind of paraphrase it. But who made a person's mouth? So who decides whether people speak or not speak, hear or don't hear, see or don't see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. So here's Moses. Now I can tell you, if you read on, he still didn't get it. He still struggled. But here's what God was saying to him. Look, Moses, I'm not telling you that you have to have everything together. Moses, like, I can't. I can't even talk right. I can't even do this. I can't. My words get all tangled up. But God says, look, who made your mouth? I'll help you. I'm just saying, will you do what I'm asking you to do? I'll help you. See, if you don't feel qualified, this is the same thing God is saying to us. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not calling you because you're qualified. I'm asking you. I'm not even asking you about your ability. I'm asking about your availability. In other words, can I use you? That's all. You know what God wants us to do? He wants to be like a water hose on the spigot. The spigot is the source of the water. We're the hose. Like, can, we, can he just use us to get his love to these people? Will we just connect to it? Listen, you don't buy a hose at, the, at Lowe's that comes with water. You're hooking it to the supply. So for us, we just got to say, look, I'm going to connect to the source. And God can use me. I don't have to have it all. I just connect to the one who does. So even when you feel unqualified, let's take a step. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6. It is not that we think we are qualified. This is Paul talking to do anything on our own. Listen to what he says. Our qualification comes from God. I've read that a lot, but this week I was like, well, how simple is that? When you feel unqualified, read that scripture. When you feel unqualified to do what God's called you to do, read the scripture. You're qualified because God qualifies you. If, you, if this is what he's calling you to do, and not just this, anything in life that God's calling you to do, he qualifies you for it. That's how good he is. All right, let's keep going. So even when you feel unworthy, even when you're unqualified, here's another one, even when you're afraid. You know, fear hits. It hits all of us at moments. We know God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. But sometimes if we, sometimes in our attempt to fight fear, we don't move. We stay somewhere and just fight fear. And I'm telling you, look, even like, like take the example I used earlier about teaching your kids to ride a bike. They're going to be afraid. 
to fall. Because it hurts. But sometimes you have to say, listen, I know you're afraid. We're going to do it. But you got to do it. See, Zach, he, he, was, he was afraid of a lot of things. But I remember one time we were at a water park, and he was in this small little kiddie pool just splashing around. And I said, buddy, I want you to go on the water slide with Dad. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, come on. So he starts to walk with me. I know when we get to the top, he's not going. I mean, I already know, but he said he would. Now, some of you may think, you are a horrible parent, but I'm going to tell you the story anyway. We get to the water slide, and I know he'll love it. And I know when he hits the water, it's not over his head. And I also know I'm right there. So I say, we're going to do it. So I'm talking to him up. Come on, Bob, we got this. We get to the top, and he's like, no, 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 no. No, no. I mean, he's getting loud. Now he's crying, screaming, and everybody's looking. Okay? Now they see Zach, and they see his dad bear hug him and get on that water slide and tell the guy, push me. (laughs) And everybody there thought, what a horrible dad. Honestly, I kind of questioned it myself. (laughs) He screamed and screamed and screamed. And I'm saying, I'll never do this again. I'll never do this again. I'm so sorry. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, what an idiot. What was I thinking? I'm scarred. He's going to have dreams all night about water slides. You know what? We get halfway down, and he's like, yeah, yeah. And he starts, yeah, he screams. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. We hit the water. Yeah. Water gets in his throat. He starts spitting up water. And all of a sudden, he's like, let's do it again. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. But you know what would happen if I had Zach stay at the top and said, you just wait till you're not scared? It wouldn't have happened because he didn't know. He didn't know what was coming. He, there were some unanswered things. What he had to do is trust that his father was with him and we're going to give it a shot. And no matter if it's good or bad, your father is with you, and he will protect you, and he will take care of you. And you will come up out of that water at the end, and if if you don't want to do it again, I will tell you as your dad, hey, you did what I asked you to do. You tried it. That's all I want. So I'm telling you, instead of just feeling like something's wrong with you, if you have fear, I'm telling you, move even with fear. Because as you do, you're overcoming it, and you're conquering it. And fear does not have a hold of you. And that's the spirit of fear that we don't have when it grips you and it paralyzes you. I'm not talking about the spirit of fear. I'm talking about fear. Walk with it. You don't have a spirit of fear that controls your life. But you are going to have times when fear steps up and you need to walk in it. You need to walk it out. Look at Gideon. Look at this verse here in uh, Judges 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. So Jerubbabel, we'll just call him Gideon. His army got up early, went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Now, here's the deal. There is, they're getting ready to fight against the Midianites. There's 145,000 Midianites in their army. Okay? Remember that number. He says, if, if, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. 
Therefore, tell the people, whoever are timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. He had 32,000. So he's already outnumbered. 32,000 against 145,000. And God says, you still got too many. Tell whoever's scared to go home. 22,000 left. Imagine Gideon. Seriously, guys? All y'all are going? Okay, if you're in an army of 32,000, and I say to you, hey, guys, we're going to go this army over here. There's 145,000, so we're going to have to be quick. There's only 32,000 of us. But if you're scared, go home. How many of y'all would leave? Yeah, some of y'all are not telling the truth in church. 145,000 against 32,000. Who would be scared and say, you know, I think I'm out. I think I'm at the wrong church. Your math, your math doesn't line up. You'd roll out. 22,000 people rolled out. Gone. So he's left with 10,000 against 145,000. Let's keep reading. But the Lord said, again, uh, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring. I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, uh, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup the water in their hands and lay it up to their tongues like dogs. In another group, put all those who kneel down and drink the water <clears throat> with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of them drank from their hands. In other words, there was those who went down and just put their face in the water. And then there's others who went down, they knelt down, and they scooped the water up. So it says to them that, okay, they're still aware of their surroundings. Those would be good people to have if you're going to battle. Not the people that are like, oh, look, water, oh, you know, and no, has no clue of the people coming after them. So there's 300 people left, 300 against 145 thousand but the Lord said to Gideon I got you you think Gideon has a little bit of fear yeah I think so let's keep going the Lord told Gideon with these 300 men I'll rescue you and give you victory over the men and all the others home so Gideon collected the provision ram's horn other warriors sent them home but he kept the 300 men with them the midnight camp was in the valley just below Gideon that night the Lord said, get up, go to the Midian camp, for I have given you the victory over them. Listen to what he says to Gideon. This is the Lord saying, but if you're afraid, keep it on this verse for a minute. But if you're afraid, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah. He tells, he's like, listen, Gideon, I've given you victory. But if you're scared, just go down to the camp with Purah. Gideon, man of God, what do you think he does? Go to the next scripture. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then be eager to get. So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge. So here he is. Go with Purah if you're scared. So what does he do? He goes with Purah. So he goes with Purah, and then the Lord, I'll, we won't finish the rest of that. He basically goes with her. They go down, and they, they go to this camp, outside the camp, and they hear the, the Midianites talking. There was a guy that had a dream. And he said, man, I had this dream that this loaf of bread basically comes in and wipes out the tent and knocks it all down. And they said, you know what that, that dream means? I think that dream means, means that Gideon's going to win and take over the Midianites. So Gideon hears that and he goes back and goes, okay, it's legit, y'all. Like that, even they know it. And he comes back up, now he's confident. But when he was, there was a moment of fear in Gideon. 
And he recognized it, but it didn't paralyze him and it didn't stop him. So even if you're afraid, go afraid. Trusting God. Because as you walk, you're going to see that God is faithful. Philippians 4.13 says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. All who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And we... And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Listen to this. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. When you're walking a path of doing what God has called you to do and fear shows up, this is how you overcome it. You stay connected to God. God is love. He is perfect love. The love in you that is God's love will bring perfection even in you. And the perfect love of God expels fear. Therefore, if you really want to get rid of fear, it's not about saying, I will not fear a hundred times. It's not, it's not about doing all those. It's about staying connected to the perfect love of God. The perfect love of God expels fear. In other words, instead of focusing on what you're trying to get rid of, Focus on what you're going to, and every time you do that, you're going to find that as you pursue God, this place here, you overcome. I say this all the time, but if you're traveling to Florida, you put Florida in the GPS, and the closer you get there, the farther you are from North Carolina. You don't plug in a destination you want to leave. You plug into where you want to go, and by going, you're leaving that. So instead of plugging in, i got to get rid of fear. That's what i got to do. No, I need to continue to walk in the perfect love of God. If you plug that in, your spiritual GPS, you will leave fear further and further behind. you got to stay connected to, to God. All right, so even when you feel unworthy, even when you feel unqualified, even when you feel afraid, and the last one, even when others or the enemy tell you you can't, even when you feel like others aren't even for you, in 1 Samuel 3, we won't go there, but basically 1 Samuel 3, or 16, 1 Samuel 16, uh, the Lord speaks to Samuel about going to anoint David, well, to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. And when you look at the story, he tells Jesse, once, he goes, I'm here to anoint one of your sons as king. So he gets his sons and he lines them all up. And Samuel goes up to the first one and and it's the oldest, and he's big, and he's handsome, and he's strong. You know, probably looks a lot kind of like I do. Uh, so, just kidding. Not at all. He's, and so here's what Samuel says. He says, you know what? It's got to be him. It's got to be him. And it wasn't. It wasn't him at all. And he goes down the line to every, every son. And the Lord speaks to him and said, it's none of them. And Samuel's like, I... Uh, you know, I could see Samuel saying, like, oh, God, I thought for sure you said it was one of Jesse's sons. And he asked Jesse this. He said, Jesse, do you have any other sons? He said, well, oh, well, except for David. I mean, he's with the sheep. In other words, I didn't think about him. When you were told to bring your sons, you didn't bring one. Because why? Well, he's just, what, did that, what could that make David feel? I guess I'll, I'm not even in the race. I'm not even a candidate. Yet when he goes and gets them, Samuel says, it's him. That's the one. And he anoints him. So David, his own, his own father didn't think anything. 
that it could be him. Later on in David's life, he goes to fight Goliath, and he goes down there, and his brothers are all in battle, and he's like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, listen, you need to go home. You need to go home. This, this isn't for kids. He's like, listen, I'll fight Goliath. No, 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 you need to head out. So his brothers are saying, you don't have what it takes. Get out of here. He goes to the king. He goes to Saul. He says, look, I'll fight him. Goliath's talking all this trash about us and our God. I'll fight him. He says, oh, no, 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 no. Listen, man, we need a, like a warrior, not you, not little David. So he's got authority. That his, his king, authority's against him. His brothers don't believe in him early on. His father didn't think he had what it took to be king. But what happened? He became king. What happened with Goliath? He, he took Goliath out. He had to go beyond just what people thought about him. Listen, I don't think people always do it on purpose. But when I started, I got ready to plant a church. There's a lot of people who thought, well, you sure? And I'm like, what are you saying? Like, what do you mean, are you sure? Like, is it that bad? Am I that bad? Like, just the thought of me pastoring a church, you'd be like, ooh, I guess God can you, you know, the weird things. But, but that's what people say sometimes, just trying to help. But, yeah, we can't, we can't let that rock us. Luke 18, 35, story of this blind beggar, and, and, and he's sitting on the road, and when, the, when he hears the noise of the crowd was passed, he said, what's happening? And they told him, Jesus the Nazarene is going by. So we started shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Listen, this guy is blind, and he knows Jesus can help him. So he starts yelling, Jesus, have mercy on me. And the crowd says, be quiet. Be quiet, they yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. Why? Because he's saying, listen, what matters is him. What Jesus can do for me is what matters. Not you being happy at my tone or my volume. So even though right now everybody is telling him to stop, he's saying, I'm going after Jesus. I'm, I'm not stopping. Y'all don't understand. Y'all don't understand. If I, if I can get to Jesus, my life changes. And it does. He gets to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. And he can see, and he begins to praise God. And it says, oh, the people around begin to praise. So the very people that were telling him, be quiet, are now like, ooh, good thing you were yelling. So we can't, we can't let people stop us. And you can't let the enemy stop you. James 4, 7 says this, submit yourself to God. Humble yourself before God. You resist the devil, he has to flee from you. The enemy can't stop you. When the enemy tells you you're not good enough, you tell the enemy you're exactly right. But God is. And God's going to use me to destroy everything that you're trying to build up. You just know that the enemy can't stop you. We give way too much credit to the devil. Way too much. He's powerless. He's been stripped of his powers. Colossians says it. He just tries to deceive you like he did Eve in the garden. Did God really say, is that really what's going to happen? You know what? You overcome that. 1 Peter 5, it talks about in verse 8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Don't be surprised when the enemy's going to come at you. Listen, that's one of the things I think if we can understand why he, the scripture tells us to be alert, because you have an adversary. And if you're going to do what God's, if you commit today to say yes to this vision, and not just to this vision, but God's put things in your heart 
whether you're a part of this church or not, whatever God has put in your heart to do and to be, you have to be able to say yes to that and go for it. Even when you feel unworthy, even if you feel afraid, even if you feel unqualified, you do it. You go for it. And God will strengthen you along the journey. Remember, it's in your weakness that strength is perfect. So let them strengthen you. Let them help you. But you can't steer a parked car. So take some steps. Go for it. Right? We can do it. But when the enemy speaks, just know he'll try. I can tell you every time there's a new season in my life, I know I'm prepared that the enemy's going to try to distract me. I, I know. If I say, you know what, I'm going to take, take these next three days, and I'm just really, really, really going to work on just loving people. and whatever. I can tell you, you know, the most unloving people are going to cross my path. And I'm going to have an opportunity to walk that out. And as soon as you say yes to God, even today, if you say yes, when you drive out of here, don't be surprised if you have that thought. The enemy tries to speak to you to say, you know what, you're not going to be able to do that. He wasn't talking to you. You remember all that you, remember what you said yesterday? Remember how you acted yesterday? See, that's the enemy. And if you can be aware of his tactics, then you're prepared. You're alert. He's not, he's not going to get me down. But he's going to, I'm just telling you, not to scare you, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You overcome the enemy. You have power over the enemy. But don't be surprised if he tries to get you off track. Don't be surprised by that. <clears throat> if you play, my, my, my son plays football. When, they, when they're going over their, you know, who, who they're going to play, of course they're going to focus on the strongest player on that team. Who is the one that could really hurt us? Who's the one that could really score? Who's the one that could really cause us to lose? we got to learn how to stop him. So when you say, you know what, I'm in this thing. I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I'm following this plan. The enemy's going to be like, hey, we got to try to stop them. But here's the thing. He can't. So don't be paralyzed by fear, thinking, oh, what's going to happen? What's... You just take every step, one day at a time, keep walking it out. And like I said, if, you're, if, you're, if you feel unworthy, take a step even feeling unworthy. If you feel unqualified, take a step feeling unqualified. If you feel a little bit of being afraid or fear, take a step in that. And guess what's going to happen? Every step, step you take, you're getting stronger. Every step you take, what, what you're saying is, it's got to be God. Because I'm nervous, I feel unqualified, I'm prepared, but I know with God I can do all things. And if God's telling us to do it, then we need to go ahead and decide today we're in. And it's going to be difficult at times because you're going to come to church sometimes and you're not going to feel like embracing people. Then let people embrace you that day. But there's going to be times when you don't feel like it that you need to step out of the feeling and know I'm embracing you by faith because it's still the right thing to do. Are you with me? All right. We're not going to bow our heads on this one. I'm asking you to right now in your own way, I want you to make that conscious decision. Not just about the vision of Thrive, even though that's what we've been talking about. But I'm seriously asking you, almost, this is almost like a commissioning type service right now, to say we are going to go and we're going to pursue the things of God.
and what he tells us to do, we're going to commit to do it. That means we're making a commitment, not just to embrace people where they are. Because, see, this, this vision isn't just for inside these walls. This vision is you embrace people at your work. That means you're going to have to stop talking about your boss the way you talk to, about your boss in front of other employees. It means you're going to have to love that person that sits next to you that's driving you crazy. It means you're going to have to equip people and help them when you see something that they're struggling with, that you become a resource to them instead of just criticizing them. And then it means that you allow the strength of God to rise up in you to encourage them, equip, and empower them to do what God's put in their heart. Because the, the, the plan for this all along was that we are embraced, encouraged, equipped, and empowered so we can go out and embrace, encourage, equip, and empower. That's the way the vision works. We receive it and we give it.